Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and I pray that as your word is, is spoken, as we go into the book of Exodus, uh, Lord, would you re- reveal to us what your Holy Spirit wants to speak? Would you speak inside of us a, a good word, not just for us to be entertained today, uh, but to, for us to be convicted, for us to uh, develop as leaders, to um, help us in our day-to-day lives. Uh, God, I just pray that you would be with me. Uh, help us to just go as a church uh, into the new vision that you've cast for us. Uh, we love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today is Super Bowl Sunday. I, I appreciate y'all coming, uh, even on uh, such a momentous holiday. Uh, since in the, in the U.S., uh, Super Bowl Sunday feels like a holiday to me. Uh, I love football. I love watching football, and I'm excited uh, not because I like either team. I'm not rooting for either, so uh, please don't ask me for a prediction. I really don't know, and I, I don't really care. But I love Super Bowl Sunday um, because it's, it's a great time just to gather with friends and family. Um, it's, it's, it's good food. It's good to overeat and, and just enjoy, enjoy the game, enjoy the funny commercials. Um, they, they haven't been as funny these days, but I remember when I was a kid especially, um, the commercials were my favorite part of Super Bowl, just watching these multi-million dollar productions uh, for these very short and brief, brief commercials. Uh, I don't know about you, but another thing about Super Bowl Sunday is um, a lot of times it's usually a potluck. And I remember, again, growing up and going to these uh, potluck Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl parties. Um, and, and it was interesting because usually the Super Bowl party was at our house. And uh, my parents had a big house. And so uh, we would have people come over. And I, I always remember um, these times that people would bring food. And, and my mom would go all out and she would prepare a large meal for everyone. She would prepare all these different dishes and all these different things. And, and it was kind of fun because it was like a buffet. You could eat chips. You could eat the hot dogs, the hamburgers, all the things going on um, going on just like while you're watching a game. And so it was kind of like the best, best of all, all kinds of parties because if you wanted to talk to people, you could, you could mingle in the back and, and talk to them. But if you're, if you're kind of like me and, and sometimes you get tired of talking to people, you can find yourself a nice seat and just watch the game and, and just be in total silence because you just can kind of just focus in on the game. You don't have to do all that small talk. You don't have to worry about other people. You, you are here for the game. Super Bowl is a great time. I hope um, all of you have, have plans. Grace and I, I remember when I was a youth pastor um, in, in Dallas, I was just so overwhelmed with all the youth kids. My youth group was about 150 kids. And so all, like every Sunday, every Saturday, every Friday, like I would just be around too many, too many energetic kids. And so a lot of times what we would even do is uh, specifically on Super Bowl, even though we would be invited places, um, we would tell people, no, we're just going to stay home. And I remember one of my favorite Super Bowls was when it was just me and my wife um, just watching the Super Bowl together. And it was just the two of us because it was, it was nice and quiet. We still had all the, the big spread. It was just between the two of us. And so probably you're thinking, you know, why is our pastor talking so much about, about the Super Bowl? And why does he even care? And I'm going to get to it. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to trick you, but whether you like those parties or not, these, these holiday parties, and it doesn't have to be just a Super Bowl. It could be um, Christmas. It could be Thanksgiving. These, these gatherings where we come together and we eat a meal and we just share in the fellowship with people around us. That can bring about a lot of emotions in you. For some people, um, the idea of gathering with other, other strangers or just even close friends 
Um, even if you have something to do, sometimes it can be very anxiety-inducing. Sometimes uh, when we talk about gathering for family and we talk about Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving, um, we gather with people that we love and we care about, uh, but those, those meetings can be very stressful and there can be a lot of tension. There can be a lot of these frustrations that come around the Thanksgiving dinner table because the conversations that are said, they're kind of awkward. And I realize a lot of what these parties, these mixers, these gatherings that we gather together, whether it's for the Super Bowl or some other holiday, or maybe it's just because it's Friday night and we want our friends to come over. When I think of this, I think of church. And when, I, when people ask me, how did I know that I was called into ministry? I, I really have to blame uh, my college ministry when I was in, uh, in the University of Texas. I, I, have, to, I have to say that when I, when I was a freshman, I went to uh, the Friday night service, and I walked in, and, and it was a little different for me because it was student-led, uh, it, was, it was all the seniors who were in charge. We didn't actually have a college pastor at the time. And so the senior pastor would come and he would preach, but everything was run by the, the seniors. And then the, the juniors were being uh, kind of trained up or not even really trained up. They were just expected that once the seniors graduate, that the juniors would be the one uh, to, to kind of lead the group. And the sophomores were sometimes thrown into the mix. They were usually made like small group leaders when they were juniors. But the reason why I, was, I fell so in love with this ministry is because as a freshman, I, I, I walked in and I wasn't with my parents. I wasn't with my family. No one was telling me, okay, it's Sunday morning. You have to go to church. It was a Friday night and I had other friends who were going to parties and, and doing other things on, the, on their Friday night. But we gathered together. And we worshiped and we praised God. And after the, the sermon and after the closing song, the night didn't end. Service started around like 6, 6.30 and, and service ended around 7, 7.30, 8. And I remember what, what, what happened after the service, it was 8 o'clock and I was kind of wondering, so what, what now? And being college kids, I, I'll always remember um, there were was, there was certain, certain times after service, some of the seniors would say, you know, let's go get some food. And then we would go to a restaurant where we would go to someone's house and we would eat food. And then the party wouldn't stop there. We would just stay up all night together. We would watch movies. We would just hang out. We would just talk. There was even like a game night where um, we, we played like board games together and just stayed up all night so that we could sleep in all day Saturday, um, kind of just like how college is. And so when people ask me, why, why did I want to go into ministry? I, I think of that. And it wasn't the worship. It wasn't the sermons. It was the fellowship. And I remember when I, when, when I was really thinking, why, why do I want to go into ministry? Why do I feel like God is calling me there? There was this weird feeling inside that when I was in that fellowship, that I, I had a taste of what heaven would be like. I had a taste of, of what it was like to have brothers and sisters that I didn't grow up with, but people because we saw each other every single Friday, every single Saturday, every single Sunday, and sometimes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because I saw them so regularly, and it wasn't just that we had the common interest of church, but because we had the same faith, because we went to the same small groups, because we were in the same Bible studies, because we shared our struggles and our problems, 
that I fell in love. I fell in love with the ministry. I fell in love with the idea that, that we could encourage one another in times of struggle. And, and again, college kids don't really have many struggles. But in those times where you have the mental breakdowns, and I had friends in college that had mental breakdowns, that w- became suicidal, that, that, thought of, that thought, had thoughts of ending their life, and how good it was that they were able to share with their brothers and sisters, that we were able to wrap our arms around that brother and tell them that we're there for them, that we want to walk with them, that we love them and we care about them. And it's not just this thing we say, but we actually spent hours and hours just together. So when people ask, why, why did you want to go into ministry? It really wasn't because I, I thought highly of myself or I thought like, oh, because I'm good at it or because I want to do it. It's because I fell in love. And when you fall in love, it doesn't have to be this romantic love. When you fall in love with someone, when you fall in love with something, it's all you can think about. It's all you can think about and dream about. And and as I was a freshman and making that decision to follow full-time ministry, all I could think about was kind of chasing that feeling of fellowship, chasing that feeling of being surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping together, going into the Word together, and fellowshipping together, that that was the feeling that I've been chasing even now. Feeling like you're a part of a family, that you're loved and you're cared for. But there's the harsh reality that as soon as I, I kind of made that decision between me and God that, okay, Lord, I, I won't be a doctor, I won't be a lawyer, I won't do any of these other professions, I won't be a businessman, I will be a pastor. Um, and as, as terrible as that felt inside that I, I would be a pastor and all the other connotations that come with being a pastor, I really just decided that was when the church began to really hurt me. I fell in love with the church. I fell in love with fellowship. I fell in love with all these things that the youth of my passion, the passion of my youth just was, was on fire. And I, I was the kind of guy that I was, I was going to the, there was a house of prayer on campus. And I was, I was going there once, once, every, once every day and just praying for an hour and just going to God and just crying and bawling and just having my relationship with the Lord just feel so on fire but as soon as I made that decision to go into ministry, that's when ministry began to hurt me. And I've talked about this before in the past. But if you told me back then, when I was being hurt by the church, that I was going to be a pastor of a church, I would have kind of laughed in your face. Because I had my college pastor, and we hired someone uh, for our college ministry. I remember uh, having a lunch with him, and he told me, he goes, don't become a pastor. You're not fit for a pastor. And I remember just bawling, like, why are you saying this? And he told me, he goes, you're too prideful. You're too prideful to be a pastor. And I remember going up to him again, he's like, hey, I'm thinking about going to seminary. He's like, don't go to seminary. Don't pursue ministry. I remember I asked him, hey, can I, can I be a small group leader? Can I, can I be a leader, uh, uh, maybe ad- administratively? I just want to learn what it's like to be um, in charge and, and a leader in ministry. And he goes, no, I'll never let you be a leader in this church. And I remember I even, I even had friends who were on leadership come and tell me, 
I remember this one guy, and I loved him so much, but he came up to me and goes, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but we just had a leadership meeting last night, and your name came up um, as a nomination for next year's leader, and the pastor said, um, no, I will not work with him. No, he cannot be elected in leadership. And I remember thinking, like, what? Like, why, God? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this thing where you all of a sudden showed me this passion I have for your church, for the body of Christ, and yet you are hurting me and tearing me down? Where I feel, I feel so inadequate. I have this desire, this desire to serve you, and yet every door is closing in my face. I feel called to ministry, but why does it seem like Every, every path just lead, ends in failure. And I've come to terms and grips with this pastor who, who was very against me. Um, he even told me later, we had a conversation later, and he basically just told me um, that the reason why he didn't want me on leadership was because he didn't like me. He didn't like my personality. It had nothing to do with my character, nothing to do with my understanding of the Bible. He just didn't want to work with me, and, and he just felt like I was, I was going to be too much of a problem for him in ministry. This has really shaped my understanding of church. And I've come to terms with him. I've forgiven him. I love him. I care about him. And I, I don't feel any hard feelings about him. But I think it fundamental, fundamentally... The reason why there was so much pain for me was because church was done in a way that I fundamentally disagreed with. As you, as you are coming and attending our church, church is not, is not about service. Church is not about the praise. It's not about the worship. It's not about the sermon it's not about the fellowship. Church is not about the leadership. Church is not about the pews. It's not about the building. It's not about any of these things because you can still have praise. You can have a worship service, a sermon. You can have the best pews. You can have the best building. You can have the best people. But a church is not a church without the presence of God. And I think what we've tried to do for so long, especially in the Western church, especially as I see, I just came back from a conference from our denomination, which was a great conference, but in conversation with so many of these pastors, and so many of them are burned out, so many of them are weary, are weak and weary, that it's become a joke that as we gather as pastors, that when we say we're tired, that everyone goes, Amen. The whole auditorium just says, amen. When people said, man, this was a hard year, everyone in, the, everyone in the whole conference is like, absolutely. That everyone seems so tired and so disjointed because I think we've made church to be something that it's not. We've made church to be this organization with this structure, the rules, when really what church is, is that we are the bride of Christ. That what makes us a church is not our organizational structure, but it's our relationship with a living and active God. And so you're probably thinking, 
but what does this have to do with the book of Exodus? What does this have to do with a sermon title, which is called Potluck Leadership? Today, I'm going to be, the, 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 the focus is about leadership. The focus is about service and how you are going to serve our church, how you are going to help the community, how you are going to do this. But even as I say those words where I say, hey, how can I get you to serve? How can I get you to be a leader? I've heard so many sermons that tell you I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to lead you into leadership. I'm going to help you become that good small group leader. I'm going to help you become that good deacon, that good elder, or, or, or even better, I'm going to show you how you can too, you too can become a pastor, how you too can become a missionary, how you can be equipped to do the work of the church. But I want to reframe the conversation today to talk about it in the context of a potluck. But before I talk about what I'm talking about when I say a potluck leadership. Let's open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 18, starting from verse 13. And it's on the screen behind me, so you can just follow along. I use the ESV version, but you, are, you can feel free to use whatever version you would like. But I'm going to start reading Exodus chapter 18, starting from verse 13. It says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let, the, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but in any small matter they decided themselves. We'll stop there. So what's going on is after all of the craziness, as um, Moses has led his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, um, and as they're kind of just wandering the desert, all of a sudden, um, these disputes start to arise. You know, they're out of slavery, but still they're, they're starting to fight probably over, you know, who, who gets the prime location for their tents, who, who is able to, you know, have 
have their, their time um, with their family while others are working, while others are doing their own thing. They're probably having these little disputes and these little arguments. You know, this person, hey, they stole, they stole something. And so Moses, you need to make sure you punish this person because they stole. Or, or this person lied and they, they told something dishonest. And so Moses, you need to make sure that you are, you are governing over your people the way a judge governs over his people, that you bring justice you bring justice and we follow the will and law of God together. And Moses, from sunrise to sunset, is kind of just sitting, sitting kind of where, where the leader sits. And, and he's having these cases come up before him. And all these disputes are coming to him. And he's just trying to do his best to hear from God, to hear from his word. And, and just decide, okay, you, you are in the wrong, and you need to do this. Or you're really in the wrong, and you need to pay this fine, you need to do this. And so Moses was doing this for the entire nation of Israel, for all the people. And his father-in-law was able to see what he was going through and told him, what you're doing is not good. Not that what you're doing, that your judgments you're making to say what is right and what is wrong in the community, that's good because you get to keep peace and everything going on. Um, the, the, the disputes will be resolved, and it's your duty to resolve these disputes. But it's bad that you're the only one doing it. It's bad that you're the only one who is creating peace within the community, who is resolving these things. It's up not just on you, Moses. So what you need to do is you need to get other people. And I know Jethro says men, but in, in our context, it's both men and women. It's, it's men and women who can go out and solve these disputes. And you would think that Jethro would say, you need to find the smartest. You need to find the strongest. You need to find the best educated people to be in these positions. But no. The qualifications that Jethro explains to Moses is that you need to choose people that fear God and are trustworthy. That the qualification for leadership is that they fear God, that they're trustworthy, and they actually won't take a bribe. That this is the qualification that Jethro is placing on these judges of Israel, on the people who are going to lead the hundreds, the tens, and the fifties, the thousands, the, the large groups of people. What, what the qualification for leadership is that they fear God and are trustworthy. So Moses does this. He gathers people that fear God and are trustworthy and aren't interested in bribes. And he puts them over the people. He, he delegates their leadership. I think it's interesting because um, we're, not, we're not in this need, the same need that Moses is in. They, they have no government over them. They have no king over them. Moses himself is not the king of the Israelites. He is not saying that he is that kind of leader. He is just trying to lead his people into the promised land and naturally naturally there are disputes among them that they, the people, are doing the right thing by going to the leader to help resolve these disputes. But Moses finds himself weary. He finds himself burnt, burnt out, tired. And his father-in-law explains to him that it's not, on, it's not all on your shoulders. I'm going to switch gears real quick and tell you about um, just how much I, I enjoy eating with y'all. 
Um, and if you haven't had a meal with me yet, I apologize. And let's, let's get a meal. Let's get a meal together and eat. But one of my favorite things to do is to cook barbecue. I, I, if you know me, if you've ever had my barbecue, I hope it was okay. Uh, I take a lot of pride in my barbecue. But um, what I love to do is I love to cook barbecue because it's cheap. Um, it's, it, you get really big cuts of meat, and you just cook it low and slow, and you get all the flavor of the wood and all the flavors uh, that come with just the smoke. And when you cut it open and you serve it to all the people um, that are there, there's just this joy, this joy that naturally comes out. I love, I love doing it, and it takes hours. Uh, when I do a brisket, uh, it's about an hour and a half per every pound. And I usually do like a 15-pound brisket. So I'm, 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 you're talking about I'm doing this brisket, and I'm putting my blood, sweat, and tears into it, where it's just this long, arduous process. But there's this joy that comes when people eat and it tastes good and they're full and, and they just have that smile on their face. And I think being in Colorado, what I, what I love hearing, because I, I learned how to barbecue in Texas, is that when someone from Colorado eats the barbecue and they're like, I've never had something taste this good. And I'm just like, oh, that just puts a joy in my heart. But there's something I've learned with barbecuing. There's something I've learned with hosting with having people over. There's something I've learned with being the host, being the one who opens up their house and being the one who, who is in charge of all the food is that it, it can become a burden. It can quickly feel overwhelming. There was this one time I invited my seminary friends to come over to my house. I was going to do barbecue for them and I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. I invited my whole class, like in terms of like my Hebrew class. Um, we were all studying Hebrew, and I was just like, I kind of stood up in class. I was like, hey, everybody, come on over to my house, and, and, and I'll, I'll cook you all a barbecue from Texas. And um, it, was, it was funny because that, that day, it was the first time I, I decided to do two briskets instead of just one. And I was doing ribs. I was doing sausages. I was doing all this plethora of food. And I was ready for my classmates to show up. I was ready for everyone to come. And, and I already, I had already in my head had all these ways to cook all this food. But I've never done this much food before. And I've never failed barbecue as badly as I did for that dinner. And I remember my wife, she usually cuts the brisket. And, and she's not, like, she doesn't critique my briskets, um, my, my barbecue as much as I do, because usually it's just decent. I mean, it's good enough that she's like, oh, yeah, it's good. But I remember we put it on the cutting board after letting it rest, and she, like, tried to cut it, and it was like rubber. And I just, my heart just sank, and it went into the floor, and I was like, let's just throw it away. Like, let's just throw it away and just tell everyone to go home. Like, I, I feel so bad. Like, maybe we can order pizza or something. I felt terrible. And, and, and it was so funny because she's like, no, it's such a waste. She just cuts it. And I was like, honey, look at it. It looks terrible. And she's like, yeah. And I, it just broke my heart. And I remember the, the, the graciousness of my friends, um, my seven friends. They ate it. And they're like, oh, it's so good. And I was like, don't lie to me. They're like, no, 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 it's so good. I was like, man, this just hurts. And I remember it took me like a month before I recovered from that. It took me such a long time because I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed that I didn't even want to barbecue again. Like I, it, it, it scarred me. 
It, it hurt me. It, it made it so stressful that the next time I did a brisket, which was uh, for my family, and, and it was like some, some family gathering, that I was so stressed out because I was like, last time I did this, it just went down the drain. It was terrible. So you know what? Make, everyone make sure that you have a backup plan or something because, man, I failed. I failed the last time. And so doing this again just causes all this anxiety inside of me. I think church is so similar to a potluck, but we've made it where just a few people are hosting. I think church is meant to be a potluck. Church is not a restaurant. Church is not about the pastor. Yeah, I come up every Sunday and I, I preach. I preach from the word. I'm the, one, I'm the one who you guys, for whatever reason, decide to spend your Sunday mornings listening to what I've prepared for you. And yeah, it's a little stressful on me. It's a little, it's a little worrisome when I'm, you know, trying to prepare every single week something to say to you, something to bring to you that you're going to be able to say, oh man, that really was something that, that impacted my heart. That was something that I, I know God was trying to speak to me and trying to let his word speak to me. That every Sunday I have this responsibility to bring you the word, to craft it and curate it like a recipe or like a meal just to make sure that it's tender, that it's, it's flavorful, it's tasty. And you know what? There are some Sundays that I'm probably going to give you a message that you're like, yeah, Pastor Jeremy, this message was way overdone. It was overcooked. Or it's even worse. What I, what I hate is you're going to say, like, Pastor Jeremy, that message was super raw. Like, you cut it open, and the center was still uncooked. Like, you got to work on that sermon a little bit more. Like, there is that anxiety because I'm bringing to you this message, this meal of the Word of God to feed you spiritually. And the burden seems to fall squarely on my shoulders. And it is a burden. It's a burden because if I'm the only one who's feeding you, if I'm the only one who's bringing you the word each and every Sunday, if I'm the only point of reference that you have to Scripture during your week, that is so much pressure on me. And not, not in a bad way, not in a I give up, I quit. It's a pressure because if you are starving for the word of God every time you come on Sunday, I want to do my very best to make sure that you are fed and you are full and that when you go out into your week, you feel the nourishment spiritually to face your week. But like I said, church is not a restaurant and I am not the head chef. Church is meant to be a potluck. And like any good potluck, it's not just about what I have to say or what I have to bring. And yeah, I think, I think the way it works is I, I have the, the main protein dish prepared. Like I, if it was Thanksgiving, the pastor is the one who's in charge of the turkey. You know, I'm the one who's in charge of the centerpiece because I want to bring you the word and I want to I put it in front of you so that no matter what else, at least the turkey is, is tasty. At least the turkey tastes good. That my goal is every Sunday is to bring you the word and to say that I have spent my blood, sweat, and tears, my time, effort, and energy to make sure that this main dish is, is well made and it's well crafted. But I want to explain to you something very important. Potluck 
potlucks, especially on those special occasions, my favorite thing is not the turkey. I like the cranberry sauce. I like the cream corn. I like the green beans. You know, when we go to Super Bowl parties, I like the nachos. When we go to Super Bowl parties, I like the chips. I like the soda. I like all the different flavors. I like all the different things that are brought, not necessarily by the host, but brought by other people. And being a Korean person, I'll be honest, every time we have a potluck with Korean people, I'm always hoping someone brings some Korean food because I love Korean food all the time. And there is that extra flavor, there's that extra dimension when there's all these different things coming together and we can just eat. Because during that time of eating is when we can fellowship with one another, to get close to one another. We feel nourished, we feel happy. We can look forward to the next time we gather. I think my, my struggles with the church when I was growing up was because it was all about the pastors. It was, always about, it was always about the leaders, the elders, the deacons, the people who were in charge. And I, I grew up in a Korean church where being in those titles was such an honor. Like it was the title that you get these special like, um, like greetings. Like people, if you're, if you're an elder, like people, they bow like a full 90 degrees for you. You know, if you're the pastor, it's like when the pastor walks in, it's like, wow, he's so holy, he's so righteous. Like, if he says something, I'm going to listen to what he has to say because he is a man of God. I, I've, never, I've never liked that because being a pastor, I don't feel like a man of God. I don't feel like I, I deserve any of that respect. I don't deserve any of that accolade. What I look at is when I see you, is I see God loves you and God can use you even more than he can use me. And how do we do that? Because I want you to treat church like a potluck. I want you to treat church like a potluck every Sunday. I want you to treat church where it's not... It's not about you eating the food that I prepared. And yes, you can, you can always come. You can always eat as much as you like. You can always come and we can always talk. If you want, you can, we can have as many conversations as you want. But I want you to treat church like a potluck where you are bringing your gift unto the Lord. You are bringing your offering unto God. And you know what? You may never want to stand up and preach a sermon. And that's okay. Because you might be the one who's doing the dishes downstairs. Or you might be the one who just makes a conversation with someone one-on-one -on, -one on, on the Sunday. You may be the one that, that you are a small group leader. Or maybe not even a small group leader, you're a small group attender. And how encouraging that can be. I've led small groups before and it is so encouraging when you have a group of people who are committed to going to every single small group. You have people who are committed because they know it's not about what I receive from the small group, it's what I can give to the small group. And yes, what I can give is, is merely my presence, it's merely my attendance, but many times that attendance is half the battle. I want you to treat church like potluck where you feel willing and open to invite people, to invite your coworkers and your friends to, enjoy, to join with us in this potluck. To join with us in this appreciation of the gifts of God that we could share in it together. When I talk about potluck leadership, 
I think of Jesus and the disciples. When you really go over who Jesus chose to be his disciples, he did not really choose people who you and I would think of as disciples, who were disciple-ready, who were candidates for discipleship. And I think this has been a flaw of the church. is because when we choose disciples within the church, we're choosing people that are disciple-ready, who are deacon-ready, elder-ready. All I'm saying is, is that even when Jesus chose the 12 disciples, he chose people who were willing, who believed in him, who trusted in him, who feared him. And you know what? As I even reflected more on that, on the leadership that Jesus himself chose, the leadership of the early church, he also chose Judas. And I I was thinking about this this week. Did Jesus make a mistake? Did he make a mistake by putting Judas into leadership? Absolutely not. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. Jesus doesn't allow someone to be a leader even if they're going to end up betraying him. Jesus understood that ministry was about relationship. And it wasn't that these disciples were ministry ready. It was that as they are a leader, that they have an opportunity to become ready for ministry. They have an opportunity to develop as leaders because they were willing and they were there. After Judas hung himself After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were trying to figure out who was going to replace Judas. And what they did is they chose from men who were with them. They chose from people that had seen the ministry of Jesus and had walked with him through that entire time. And it wasn't a question of what their abilities were. It was simply, do they believe in the Christ? Potluck leadership This idea that Moses is being told by Jethro is one that's very important. I hope you know that you are just as important as a member, as a a tender, as someone who just comes on Sundays, as someone who is is nominatively Christian, nominally Christian, someone who is is very Christian and very passionate. Maybe you're someone who's atheistic. Maybe you're, you're in a different religion, whatever, that all are welcome to come and worship with us. No matter, no matter where you come from, no matter what background you are, that we welcome you into this place. We welcome you to worship with us, to break bread with us, to eat with us. Because we all have, we all have our sins to deal with, our struggles to deal with, our doubts to deal with. Because I think of Judas but I also think of Peter. And, and, and the two stories of, of both when Jesus was being crucified are very interesting. We, we put Peter so highly up when we talk about him. Because, I mean, he is, he is like basically the, the first pope. I mean, I know we don't believe, uh, we don't really talk about the pope very much in, in Protestant circles. But St. Peter uh, was the guy that we, we revere as like this pope, the first pope of all the popes and and just this leader of the Christian church. But we have to understand that he denied Christ very similarly to how Judas denied Christ. I think there are some of you in here that are called to leadership, that are called to serve the church, 
that are called to do your part. And maybe that's by leading a small group. Maybe that's by bolstering up your small group. Maybe that's by cooking the meal downstairs for Spoon. Maybe that's by helping the women's ministry do, um, do things that, that, that would bless, bless the women in our church. Or maybe that's to start a men's ministry in our church, to bless the men in our church. Maybe that's to be on the newcomers committee to welcome people. I don't know what you're good at. I don't know what you're good at doing, what you're good at making. I don't know what you would want to bring to a potluck. But I know that there's something that you have to offer. And I'm trying to reframe for you as well as for myself what leadership really is. I'm not looking for leaders in our church that are good leaders. I'm looking for leaders in our church that fear God and are trustworthy. You know, I, I, I remember um, years later after I had already become a pastor and I had already, um, you know, was a youth group pastor and, and before I, I came on board with LCC, I played basketball with that pastor that basically told me, um, you shouldn't go into ministry. Who basically was like, you know, you're not fit for ministry, you're too prideful, you're too arrogant, you know, you're, you're not going to make it as a pastor. I remember we played basketball. And I remember he was going through his own stuff in his church he was going through his own problems in life. And I remember feeling this, this depth inside when I looked at him, and I was so hateful to him. How dare God put him in a position as a pastor when he hurt me so much? How dare God put this guy who says he's a man of God in charge of these really young and sensitive souls because I wasn't the only one who was hurt. There were other, others of my friends that were hurt by this guy. How dare God put him in leadership? And I learned something quite beautiful as we were playing basketball. And as I kind of saw him be um, just kind of put on, on the same level and that we were just doing the same activity together. Church is not about good leadership that you can look at. Church is not about the leaders are perfect and therefore the church is healthy. I think what makes a good church is when you have broken leaders like that guy, and you have broken leaders like me, that y'all are willing to step up. That y'all are willing to step up and say, hey, it's not about who I follow on this earth, but it's about who I follow who's in heaven. You know, there are a lot of big mega churches, and they're beautiful, and they're grand, and I love them. And, and I think that as I talk to the pastors of those churches, whether they're on the bottom or the top, what I love about these big churches and the small churches is that when I meet with them, especially at these conferences that I go to, I realize that we're all colleagues, that we're all friends, that we're all, we're all in this together. It's not a competition it's not to compare and contrast whose church is better, whose church is bigger, whose theology is more sound, who's right and who's wrong, and all these debates and these arguments that come up even in our church. That when we look at our church leadership, I'm sure when you even look at me, there are a thousand critiques that you can place on me. But you know what? If I present you a turkey and it's dry, it's unseasoned, it's unedible, and it's not very good. I think what I'm going to start asking you is this. Can you help me make it? Can you, can you help me make it better? 
You know, if you're looking at our small group system, and I think I'm, I've been thinking about our small groups a lot because our small groups are kind of in a disarray, and, and it's kind of like a meal that's kind of gone all directions and is, is not really solid in any way. Instead of placing that burden on myself to fix everything, I think I'm just kind of that kid in the kitchen who's saying, oh, I messed it all up. It's all broken. It's all failed. And what I'm saying is, can you join with me together? I want our church's potluck. I want the ministry to be impressive. I want it so that when when unbelievers walk in through our doors, newcomers come in through our doors, that it's such a good meal that it's not even about the food, that they just feel comfortable to come again. They feel comfortable to eat at the table. They feel comfortable to serve. They feel comfort that they could bring their, their dish next time. This church is not about me. It's not about the deacons. And you know what? It's not about you. The way we end every service, and I'm going to close this in prayer, but the way we end every service is so important. The way we end every service at our church, if you've never joined us before, is with communion. And and this is something that I'm so passionate and convicted about because this is the reason why we gather, is that we partake in the body and blood of Christ. It's funny, I, I, I tell you that I, I, you know, I'm the one who makes the turkey and it's the main course. The main course is Jesus. And my conviction is to bring you Jesus every single Sunday. My conviction is to bring you the resurrected Christ every single Sunday because it's by him that you are nourished. It's by him that you are strengthened. And it's the job of every single leader to bring you the same meal, just maybe with a little different flavor. Everyone's goal, whether you are a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a youth group teacher, whether you're a small group leader, whether you're the person doing the spoon ministry, from bottom to the top, our goal is the same. That in our own God-made way, that we would present communion to this world. That we would present communion to the unbelievers in our day and age, explaining to them that this is the body of Christ which was broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would make our church a potluck. God, where every member, every body part, every distinct flavor that is brought in on church on Sunday would be put on display for all to taste and see that you are good. Father, I pray that church would not be about pastors. It would not be about deacons or elders. It would not be about small groups. It would not be about the praise leader or the worship team. It would not be about any of these other things, but it would all be about you and our fellowship with you. And whether our meal is small or large, whether our offering is extravagant or simple, Lord, I pray that coming to church would be a time where we can get to know you a time where we can serve you and give you all glory, honor, and praise. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We know that you are, you are the good God. You are the good, good Father. That you are the one that we come to and we just want a fellowship with you. We want to have a relationship with you. So I pray that our church would set the table. Our church would be the one to have all the different flavors so that people from around our city could come and, and experience and taste that you are good. Father, I pray that it would not be about leadership in our church. It would not be about the pastoral staff. It would not be about the building or all the other things that every Everything would come down to the fact that you are good and we want to just be with you. Father, I pray that you would start equipping people in our church to do what they're good at, to do what they're, what they're passionate about in our church. Would you inspire us? Would you convict us? And Father, when we make mistake, when we overcook that food, when we make it bland or use salt instead of sugar, Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us, that you would help our embarrassment, our humility. Father, you would help us to not give up, but in those times to press on even further. Father, I pray that you would be with our congregation and allow us to be missionally minded, that it would not be just about our church and filling our belly, but we would go out to the ends of this earth, reaching out to those who are truly in need. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.